Good morning, everybody. So we're continuing our series of God's new community together, working the way through Ephesians. And it's down to me to speak about imitating God together. We have read a long Gish passage, but don't fear long passages. They're good for our souls to just listen to. So I'm going to work as best as I can to cover the message in these um, without going on to late afternoon. But it's good that we are attentive to God's word and know how to imitate God together. Well, we've been exploring in Ephesians something about Jesus and his glory. We've also been thinking about some lofty truths that Paul introduces in his letters to the Ephesians, such as being chosen in Christ before the world began, before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in him. Though however hard it may be for us to get our heads around, we're nevertheless made aware of these things that are greater than when you have born, you live, you die kind of perspective to the world. It's greater than that. There is an underlying eternal reality and plan for this world. And right, or, and right in the midst of his plan is humanity. You know, the God of the universe has chosen to gather to himself a people who will once, bear again, once again bear the full image of God, sharing and reflecting his glory, which is God's alone, and to enjoy unfettered access and intimacy with the Father of creation. And his plan is to do it through his son, Jesus Christ. To those he's already called and gathered, we are known by God as his church. We're already in his plan. You see, there is a high calling for his people that he's chosen. See, in Ephesians, we're already told that we should be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless before the God of creation. That we might be to the praise of his glorious grace. That we may be to the praise of his glory. <laughs> That's us. That we are to be fellow citizens. Members of the household of God. A dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit. And we are to be his body. We are people chosen to reflect the very nature of a loving and gracious God, the Father of all creation. A God who is perfectly just, always doing what is right. See, it knocks out of the park the idea that church is just a club or a help support group, doesn't it? When we're given those pictures. We are not a club. We are a people with a high calling to present ourselves to God and to the rest of the world, as chapter 4 puts it, as a people attaining to the measure and stature and fullness of Christ. Lofty ideals. Big truths to comprehend and get our head around. Yet true, nevertheless. And we shouldn't be misled into thinking that this ideal is for the church as it stands. That is, God's standard and expectation of holiness is a measure against all people, whether you go to church or not. It's a worldwide call 
to all human beings for everyone and anyone. This ideal is a reminder to the church as to who they are and who they are to become. But it's also a message for those who do not follow Jesus, who have no hope or no means by which to present themselves wholly before God. It's a message that invites you to receive the gift of Christ's righteousness and to then let him form his righteous character in you as a member of his church, as a child of God. So with the, with the high calling of Christ firmly established already in Ephesians, it's no surprise then, is it, to read in chapter 4, verse 17, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. Excuse me. See, this verse along with the first two verses of chapter 5, encapsulates the main teaching of this passage today. In light of our high calling in Christ, don't live as if you didn't know him, but instead imitate him, for you know the truth. In light of our high calling in Christ, don't live as if you didn't know him, but instead imitate him. For you know the truth. See, we are people who should strive for godliness or God-likeness. Yet there is a conflicting lifestyle and wisdom that is contrary to what the Bible says. And we need to be alert to the foolish alternative. Glance over to the next chapter, 5.15 to verse 16. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's rare that you hear anybody describe something or someone as evil. You know, we reserve that word for serial murderers or serial rapists, don't we? The days are evil. Because the practices and the philosophies of this world are in opposition to God and his grand design for a people for himself. Anything that would pull us away from God is as good as being welcomed into the home of a mass murderer. See, there is a very high likelihood that your death will follow shortly if you accept that invitation. The days are evil. Paul tells us to be careful, to be wise in the way that we live our lives. He is warning of an attitude embraced and accepted by the world that teaches and tempts that the only God in the world worth serving is myself. That is the kind of evil Paul is warning us to be wise against. It's an evil that can result in the ruin of our own lives. Well, in verses 17 through to 24, Paul paints a vivid picture of a life that has been severed from God. You can see how utterly incapable they are to live lives pleasing to God and according to his will. See, they're described as being futile in their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. 
They are ignorant. They have, because of their hard hearts, they have lost all sensitivity, have become calloused towards good things. And they've given themselves as slaves over to sensuality. See, the root of the problem is a selfish and rebe- uh, attitude and a rebellion against God. See, a hard heart doesn't want to listen uh, uh, to reason, and it blinds itself to the obvious. It's stubborn, it is proud, unwilling to change, and it seeks to pr- protect, lock down, as it were, our own personal desires and selfish thoughts. A hard heart verse 18 teaches, leads to ignorance, which in turn darkens our understanding and alienates uh, oneself from a life of God and results in a walk that is fit only for God's judgment and wrath. But, says Paul in verse 20, I'm going to read from the ESV, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. How you used to live your lives was all messed up because you wanted to please yourself. You had a selfish attitude, so all that you did was ultimately for yourself. But this is not the way that we're supposed to live. Jesus Christ is the truth that sets us free from living a life as a slave to our own deceitful desires. So Paul assumes, he assumes that if we have learned and heard and learned of him, that's Jesus, then we should know what it means to no longer live like we used to. See, as we learn about the person of Jesus, we will understand what truth is. How as human beings we are supposed to live and understand our place in God's grand design. Through the renewal of our attitudes, we no longer want to live for ourselves, but our desires and lives are shaped by our understanding of what it means to be godly, something that we were always meant to be. This renewed life, this new self, we're told in verse 24, which which we are to put on, is to be created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when God made man, he said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. See, do you see the echo in verse 24 of Genesis 1? To be in the likeness of God. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, to put on a new self that is created in the likeness of God is to recognize the social nature of God. God reveals to us that though one God, he is three persons. At his core, he is loving and relational. So a new new self involves living in community, loving one another, doing life together, involving a transformation from selfishness to selflessness. It is to recognize that God loves, and we are to imitate that love. 
that as God is righteous and gracious and merciful and humble, we are to imitate that too. We can assume that putting on this new self, though, is not automatic. Because Paul has to exhort Christians not to walk as the Gentiles do. See, a hard heart will always inevitably lead to an ungodly life. Yet those who have received Christ, and in doing so possess a completely different outlook on life, to produce godliness requires active participation on behalf of the believers. And this is what he goes on to develop in between verses 25 and 32. Again, I'm going to read from the ESV. Therefore, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of another, of one another. So we're going to see godliness practiced in community. See, to put away falsehood is the same as embracing the truth. And we have read that the truth is in Jesus. So to live a godly life, we need to embrace Jesus and learn from him together, learning of his selfless love, grace, and humility. And so we are to speak to one another of this truth because we are members of one another. Where a hardened heart has lost sense of, of corporate goodness, a heart for Jesus, understand that n- no man is an island. That we are to look to one another and to look to one another's benefit in Christ. So let's look very briefly at the following examples of active participation in the work of God to produce godliness amongst us. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Anger can cause division, can cause a foothold for Satan to enter if we let it cause us to sin. Therefore, we're not to let anger get to the point where this happens. Division is the enemy of unity, which we were talking about last week, and the opposite of God's character and plan. So we need to deal with it early and quickly. A thief, in verse 28, is someone who takes for selfish gain, whether it's out of necessity or greed. However, we're not to stand on the sidelines calling for them to change. But, as the ESV puts it, let him labor. You see, we are to actively provide opportunity for a taker to be turned into a giver. See, resources should flow out of us rather than be someone who constantly takes all the time. We may not be a thief in the eyes of the law, but before God and one another, we could well be a thief, taking rather than contributing to the needs within the fellowship. Corrupting talk of verse 29. How easy is it to speak Words that damage rather than build, build up. How are we to become holy and blameless before God if we prefer to speak corrupting words? Not only can words hurt, but there are other repercussions. You see, truth is bro- uh, trust is broken down. Encouragement disappears. Bitterness is given an opportunity to grow. It can damage our hopes 
of ever experiencing something of heaven on earth within church. That's what happens when people speak damaging words. But words can be damaging, but they can also build up. Paul says for you to just close your mouth if all you're capable of doing is corrupt words. But if you are capable of building up, open them. Encourage one another. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, here he's given this full title, isn't he? The Holy Spirit of God. As if to remind us of the holiness that is to characterize a Christian community. The place where God dwells by his Spirit. This church is his home. And this is really a catch-all statement, isn't it? As the Spirit seeks to bring godliness or Christ-likeness to Christ's community, anything that we may say or do that causes us to take a step backwards from God's plan grieves the Holy Spirit. Well, these things need to our own reflection because it can't be faithfully explored in, in one morning. So there is an opportunity to consider these things outside of this morning and to see how these work out. Assuming, though, assuming, going back to verse 25, that we have first put falsehood away and embraced Jesus' new way. See, knowing the truth comes first. So look at this if you know that this hasn't been dealt with. Christ-likeness will only come after knowing the truth and putting away falsehood. Well, the final two verses of chapter 4 and the first two verses of chapter 5 summarizes the actions required to build a godly community. What we need to put away and what we need to practice. Well, whereas Paul has stated what we are not to do, this time he gives us a positive encouragement. As beloved children of God, we are called to imitate God. As our attitudes are changed towards God and others, we are not left without an example to work out how to live. The great example, truth in action, is Jesus Christ himself. It is the love in which Christ loves us that we are to love one another. It's the selfless, self-giving love that is the model to model. Christ gave himself up for us. He gave his very life for our benefit. You see, we give our lives up all the time. You might not have noticed. In, back in verse uh, 19 of chapter 4, the description of someone alienated or separated from God gives of themselves over to sensuality. See, another way of saying it is that we serve that which we love. Christ loved us, so he became a servant for us. If we love to indulge in sensuality, then we give up our time and our energy to pursue that end. See, we need to identify who we are serving. Because it affects not just the individual, but as we've seen, the whole body of Christ. Because we are members together, belonging to one another. So loving self-service and the putting on a new self is one side of the coin in the formation of a holy people for God. See, there is a flip side. And I could say it in a scary voice and say, the dark side. But it seriously is the dark side. And there is no joke about it. You see, it asks us, therefore, to produce a holy community 
needs to put on a new self. But it asks us to deal with corrupt behavior. And so we're going to see in the next few verses tackling how to tackle sin in community through godliness. Verse 3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Improper and out of place, not fitting. See, God's new holy community is a reflection of him himself. We are meant to be God glorifiers, to be to the praise of his glorious grace. That's how he started. There's no higher calling than this. Neither, therefore, is there anything more serious than God's community tolerating corrupt, bad behavior. There must not even be a hint of it, it says in verse 3. The ESV says, it must be not named amongst you. It's not that we try and keep it quiet and brush it under the carpet and hide it. See, that would be a foolish and stupid thing to do. It's only by exposing it and dealing with it will we ever hope to claim that it can't be named amongst us as a holy people. It shouldn't have to be blatantly obvious before we respond to it. See, in verse 12 says, It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. I don't know what you do in secret. I don't, you don't know what I do in secret. But he's willing to flush out this sin from what, or whatever part of our lives. Although it's not necessarily comfortable to do, and perhaps we're not that good at it at all, it's, it's much easier, isn't it, to deal with obvious sins, to confront them. But what we get from this passage is a real sense of purging of all impurity out of the church. That's quite a task, isn't it? If I don't even know what you do, and you don't know what I do. I suppose that if we accept that the church is a work in progress, that it will not exactly match up to the ultimate reality of the kingdom of Christ, that future, final kingdom state, where it's described elsewhere as a place where there is no sin. There's no need to purge impurity because it's pure the job of getting rid of all sin will be completed. For now then, a church can be a good place to hide. See, church is messy as we work through our way through this broken and corrupt world. Sin can go unnoticed. We can be desensitized to sin. The scary thing is we may have even created an environment here where we feel it is possible to serve more than one master that we can serve ourselves indulging in our selfish desires in private, whilst at the same time serving God. But that service is most likely to be superficial. Yet the warning is in verses 4 and 5. Though church might harbor sinful behavior, or, or, although ideally it shouldn't, you can't guarantee that those who hide and are persistent in their sin, will not be part of the kingdom of Christ. And they will experience the wrath of God, along with all other agnostics, atheists, and devotees to other religions. Verse 7 says, therefore, 
Do not be partakers with them. Do not be partners with them. With the subtext saying, and risk the same fate as them. And so though, before we rush to pick up our pitchforks, light our torches, and drive the wicked witches out of our village, we are shown in the following verses how to deal with this behavior that is out of place within the body of Christ. Though lighting our torches might be an apt phrase for what follows. Verse 8 says, For you, want, uh, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. It doesn't say that we were in darkness, and neither does it say that we are in the light. But it says that we were darkness, and now we are light. See, in the Lord, we have the capacity to reveal the truth. We can make a difference by living godly lives, by living out gospel godliness amongst each other as a community. See, it's through love, grace, and humility in our service to one another that sin can be tackled at Abbey Church. See, our calling is to live as children of light, as the gospel of God's grace in Jesus lit up our own darkened souls, revealing and exposing sin. Through a God-imitating community, the same thing can be expected to happen. There should be no difference when dealing with sin within the church. See, there is little hope of dealing with sin in church by becoming legalistic, by simply saying, do not do it. How often do I do that to my children? We can preach it from the front. We can impose sanctions. We could name and shame. We could try all manner of things, but at the end of the day, hard hearts will not listen. They cannot listen. But revealing light does more than expose. We're not only exposed by the light, but attracted to it. This is wonderful. Verses 13 and 14. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, which is quite scary as well. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper! Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. See, if we put into practice the gospel in godliness together, we will bring the light of Christ to bear on sinful hearts, even if they are in secret. But not only that, we can expect that through reflecting the light of Jesus, those who are dead in their sins, simply unable and unwilling to please God, could experience nothing less than a resurrection. It says, wake up. Rise from the dead. That's what we're dealing with. We can expect within this congregation, dare we dream, that through our godly living, a new life in Christ might be born. See, this is the wonderful impact and work of truth and righteousness being practiced in church as we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So with each step towards godliness, and with each battle won against sinfulness, we are surely becoming the people that we were always meant to be. God glorifiers. Therefore, we should look carefully how we walk. You see, as Paul asks us in verse 15, look carefully. 
Looking carefully takes time and reflection, which means working at it throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout the month, never ceasing to look carefully as we walk. We must do it together, reflecting God in this community. God is social. God is always in fellowship and loving, and so must we. We must do it together for us as a people, for God. God sent his only son for that reason, that we may be presented perfect with his fullness in us. So in light of our high calling in Christ, don't live as if you didn't know him. Don't live as if you didn't know him. But instead, imitate God. Imitate him, for he is the truth, and you know him. Therefore, let us not be stupid, Abby. Let's dream. Let's pray. Get on our knees, and let's look carefully at our own lives together as we seek to imitate God and fulfill our high calling. Let's pray.